Hi, I'm Lisa, and there are actually some faces I don't know, um, which is <coughs> exciting. Um, and I look forward to meeting you. And um, it's lovely to see so many faces I do know as well. Um, I'm going to just pray for all five of us before we start. Lord, thank you for this opportunity and um, the things that you've shown each of us from this passage, um, the blessing of, of mulling it over um, and working on this. We thank you that you put these things in our hearts and pray that they will be um, a blessing to everyone who hears. And we pray for all five of us that are speaking today. You'll be with us. Amen. Okay, so... Um, as Min just read, um, this is uh, the coda or the end chapter, I think, of the dramatic miracle of the transformation of Legion. And it speaks directly into the work of God in our lives. So very briefly, I wanted to uh, reflect on three clear truths that I think this little passage reveals. And the first one is that sometimes God says no to our desires. And the second one is that Jesus sends us to witness to, and certainly in this chapter to our own people and sharing effectively and authentically is the spirit working in us convicting us of what the Lord has done so in the passage in Mark um, he records that the now not demon possessed man begged Jesus to go with him I looked it up in a couple of other versions it said one said um, prayed to him but begged is a strong word it implies urgency and a deep desire. It's a plea from the heart. Please let me go with you. And Jesus says no. Now surely, I think from my perspective, when I think about it, being with Jesus, watching him, learning from him would be the best thing you could do. It's a natural reactive response to the amazing miracle that's been done in him and for him. But Jesus says no. It says, Jesus did not let him. He actively prevented him from following. He tells him to do something else. He tells him to act against his inclination, to put aside how he feels and to trust that Jesus knows what is best for him. And the now not demon-possessed man obeys, just like that, according to the record. We live in a world where at one level, I think feelings rule supreme. They are seen as the indicator of what is right and wrong. But this man put his faith in Jesus and trusted what he knew to be true rather than riding the wave of his feelings. His feelings weren't wrong. Feelings aren't wrong. They just are. Feelings and desires are powerful and they feel right. And sometimes they are right. But obedience can mean accepting that there is a better way than what we feel is right. So Jesus says to the now not demon possessed man, don't come and hang out with me. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He tells the man to go home to his own people, people he knows, people who have probably shunned him, people who have been frightened of him, people who didn't know how to help him and tell them what the Lord has done for him. And there's plenty to tell, right? His transformation is obvious. He's got an incredible story. He's now in his right mind and he goes. And why does he go? Yes, he's obedient, but he goes because he's convicted. 
He knows what the Lord has done for him. He's in no doubt. It's fresh and real and evident just by looking at him and talking to him. He's a living embodiment of the Lord's work and mercy. I think at times it's easy to forget what the Lord has done for us. Like the demon-possessed man, he's freed us from our bonds and led us out of darkness. We know it, but sometimes we're just not feeling it. We're convinced, but we're not convicted. Jamie Bester's word from the other week, this obviously sunk deep into my heart, is to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves is a really helpful practice when feelings are dominating our understanding. Praying for the Spirit to show us and convict us so that we can speak the truth to ourselves and to others with conviction about what the work and the mercy of the Lord has been in our lives. I just wanted to share two short observations about our own people because in this passage that's who the man is is instructed to go and speak to. And I think they're quite different to the people perhaps that he spoke to. We're in a different context. The first is the observation that in our contemporary generation of teenagers, many have not rejected the gospel or the Christian faith. They just have no context through which to understand it. And I have a class of year sevens. I just love them to bits. Um, And I do debating with them. And their topic this uh, coming week is Santa Claus is a justifiable deception. And... I asked them to come up with some pros and cons for that particular topic. And they had some really great ideas. And one of them was religion. And I said, can you explain that to me? What do you mean, religion? And this very lovely, thoughtful, you know, curious girl said, well, you know, you know, it's just, you don't want to miss with people's religion. And I said, well, Santa Claus has got nothing to do with religion. She goes, yeah, yeah, that's Christmas. Christmas is, that's Santa. And uh, Christmas is people's religion. And I said, no, 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 it's, that's Jesus. Christmas is about Jesus. And she was, she was a bit gobsmacked because she actually didn't realise. She knew it probably wasn't about Santa, but she didn't know what it was about. She didn't have the context. She didn't have the background. She didn't have the story. And I think that's a real shift when talking to our own people. And the second observation I wanted to make about our own people is that there are plenty of people sharing evangelism and conversion stories in our community. At a recent family gathering, several people enthusiastically shared with us the way their lives had been transformed by their vegan diet. No objection to vegan diets. However, they were bold in the face of scepticism, annoyance and even boredom. They were clearly convicted. They shared their moment of conversion, their moment of epiphany, the struggle of their journey and the thankfulness for what their new understanding has brought them and how it's transformed their lives. You know, they were speaking of conversion. And so there's plenty of conversion stories in the people that we speak to. So the people we spend time with, go to work with, go to play group with, gather for parties with, are our own people. And they're the people in this passage who Jesus sent the, uh, the, the man to speak to. So let's pray for strength and obedience. To go where Jesus sends us despite how we might feel. Boldness, thankfulness, and a focus on the truth of what Jesus has done as we speak in love to our own people. Hi, everybody. I'm Jamin. Never worn one of these. Um, Jesus is a man on a mission. 
And I sometimes feel that there's almost this kind of frantic pace to what's going on around him. You know, there's thousands of people, there's healing, um, there's arguing with Pharisees and other religious leaders, then there's um, the whole training of his disciples, and his, there's just so much going around with Jesus. And, and in the middle of all of this, Jesus is actually interacting with real people and tangible problems are being fixed. So just to recap again what's happened, there's this storm as they're going across the lake and then they get to the other side and they meet this, um, this legion guy and Jesus drives out legion and all the pigs fly down the hill into the, um, to their death and, um, and then after that, kind of all the people say, get out of town, leave, kind of thing, just, just please leave. I imagine this is because, you know, he sent their dinner down, well, they perceive this to send their dinner down. But um, anyway, so that, that's kind of the situation. And Jesus is heading out of town. And then, yes, the man, there's kind of one guy who's not frustrated or angry with Jesus. And it's a guy who was possessed. And um, he says, Jesus, I want to come with you. That's that, that, that idea Lisa's talking about. There's this, just this begging to go with him. And I think that, isn't that just, yeah, what every new convert wants to do? Isn't this the first thing that you want to do when you remember the wonderful change in your life, when you remember Jesus? I don't know about you, but when I get hit by one of those moments, I, I want to get in the boat. I want to bask in the, in the glory of Jesus and be in his personhood and, and be around him. But yeah, Jesus says no. And this does seem odd at first. I mean, at this stage, Jesus has got a substantial group of people following him. He's got the, 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 the inner circle of disciples who he's going to train to become apostles Um, he's healing people, he's speaking to thousands of people, and he's not turning any of them away. He's not saying to any of them, don't follow me. But he says to the the man who was possessed, no, you can't come, you know, boat's full, sorry, you can't can't come with me. Um, And I imagine, yeah, the guy just being crestfallen at first at this. But I think Jesus is actually being really strategic here. We see through the Gospels that Jesus sees his mission as to the Jewish people. It's to his people at first. Um, He really wants to um, spend his time on earth with his people. And in fact, it's only two chapters later that Jesus, um, his arm has to get twisted to heal a Greek woman's daughter. He doesn't, he's got, no, this, it's for my people. And she says, oh, but the crumbs of the table, the dogs get those kind of thing. So Jesus really sees his mission as to the Jews. But here, Jesus sees an opportunity for those who are not Jews to hear about him. This man is not a Jew, he's on the other side, he's probably, he's probably not of Jewish kind of descent. And he says, you can't get in the boat because I've got a job for you to do. And it's a huge job. This man is actually the first recorded man in the Bible who's a missionary to the Gentiles. You know, Paul, the great apostle Paul, was the apostle to the Gentiles, but this bloke beat him to it. He was already the missionary to the Gentiles. And I imagine the, um, the, the apostles, uh, the, the disciples in the boat kind of going, who is this punk? You know, he's straight away got his mission and he's all sorted and he's off and, and Jesus is already giving him a job and we're still here sort of following around. We don't really know what's going on. But, um, and then Jesus even gives this guy a mission strategy. He says, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had great mercy on you. It's just so simple and so powerful. For the man to tell how much the Lord has done and of the great mercy that he's received, he actually has to tell his story. And I'm sure that his people knew his story as well. 
And I mean, telling our story is something that we focused on here at SOMA as well. But this guy has to tell, and the people know, of his possession, his self-harm, his chains, his ostracism, his cries of living like an animal, of living in tombs with the dead. To tell of how much the Lord has done for you in that situation, to tell of his mercy from that situation, that is just such a huge testament to who Jesus is. And when he does tell this, the people are amazed. They're just, it's, that's, it says they're amazed. And I think there's a parallel here between us and the man who was possessed. We might not have been, we might not have been demon-possessed, but we've been chained, slaves to sin. I find myself wandering down the wrong tracks all the time. If you're a believer, God has shown incredible mercy to you. Our love of money, of power, or sex, or alcohol, or addiction, or self, or greed. In fact, our broken human nature at its very core needed mercy, and we were shown mercy. And just as there's a parallel there with the man who was possessed, there's also a parallel between uh, what Jesus asked the man to do and what we're asked to do. As we work out our salvation, Jesus has been strategic. He's called the whole body. He's called you and, and you and you and me and, and everybody in his body. And he said, I've got a job for you. And I think this is bigger and more complex than just what I'm saying here. And this is not the only answer, but this is definitely part of it. In order for us to tell of the things that God has done for us and his mercy, we can share what we've been saved from. I mean, we can share it in our MCs, and we might share it at the sharing night that's coming up. And these are all great things, but the aim is that it doesn't stop there. The aim is that God's great love for us and the mercy that he's shown to us kind of seeps out of us and escapes out of us and out of our MCs, and that by being children of God wherever and everywhere that we are, people will just see and we will talk about how much God has done, and the great mercy that he's shown. I think that's something really worth sharing. Cool. Wide up, ready to go. Um, Yeah, this is is really cool. I'm really enjoying hearing um, what people have to say about this little tiny piece of passage. Um, It's been really cool, so thanks, guys. Um, I was going to start by telling a quick little story that maybe will make you giggle a little and make me kind of relax some. Um, but anyway, so every, every Thursday um, after work, I like to go bike riding. Um, so on Thursday just gone, I was in the car driving to Glenbrook where I go riding um, and I got the bike in the car and, um, and this kind of thought occurs to me and I thought, hey, I should um, skip bike riding this week and go home and work on this talk and you know, make sure I'm kind of well prepared and stuff. Um, and I thought, yeah, that's... That's not a bad idea, um, but I really want to go bike riding. So, uh, so I went bike riding, of course, and um, got to Glenbrook and get on the bike and riding down through. I've got some lights and stuff, and, and I'm riding along, and then the, the strap that holds the battery onto the bike just kind of snaps, and there goes the battery. Oh, bugger, all right. So picked it up, and, okay, that's no good. Put it in my bag. I thought, yeah, that'd be kind of funny if that was like a bit of a sign thing that, hey, you should go home. <laughs> And, um, and I didn't. I thought, hey, I've got another light on my helmet. I can keep going. Just a little bit more. And so I kept riding down this kind of technical bit and then bang, 
Um, I clipped this huge rock that was sticking out. Didn't see it at all because of the one light thing. And <laughs> ragdolled into the bushes and picked myself up and dusted myself off. And, and um, I was like, yeah, man, really should have gone home. <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, when, when Dave gave me these verses and told me to talk about how it impacts me, I thought to myself, um, well, it kind of doesn't really. Like, um, the part that impacts me really is all the stuff beforehand um, that leads up to these couple of verses, um, you know, where Jesus goes to the ends of the earth, like we've heard, um, and he goes there for this one guy. Um, and, and this bit, these verses that we're reading, is just Jesus sort of sending him off, right? You know, just... Off you go, mate. I'll fix you. Go home. <laughs> um, and I guess, like we've heard, that he's he's going on a bit of a mission. He's going to go and tell everybody stuff. So I thought maybe that's what I should talk about: is how this makes me feel like I I should get out of my comfort zone and go door to door and be all missional and stuff. Um, except it doesn't really make me feel like that either. Um, to be honest, the the big M word, missioning. Um, always makes me feel a bit nervous. Uh, I prefer to think of mission as simply the business of living life as a child of God. Um, and I can share Jesus through just everyday interactions with the people that I meet, um, or people I get to know, really. Um, none of this door-knocking stuff, uh, that's, not, that's not my gifting. Not going out to cities and stuff where, with all these people that I lived, like this guy is doing, you know, and telling everybody, hey, this is what's happened to me. I thought, yeah, that's, that's kind of not what I'm great at. Um, so anyway, so I kept praying. I prayed for some inspiration of what to speak about. And I kept thinking and trying to work out exactly how does this passage actually impact me personally because I haven't really thought about that before. Um, and God kind of gave me this idea or struck me with an idea or it popped into my head anyway um, of this idea that I think of I kind of called it the fingerprints of God, um, or God's MO, if, if you like. Um, yeah, you see, I learned not so long ago that this story of Jesus going and saving this man who was possessed by the legion of demons is a beautiful demonstration of just how far Jesus is willing to go to save just you. Um, there's a key point in God teaching me just how valuable he actually thinks I am, um, that if I was the only sinner on the entire earth, that he'd still move the whole universe to come and save me or you, if it was you. Um, yeah, and so in my head, like this little bit, no, you can't come with me, go home, tell lots of people. That's just, you know, the bit tacked on the end to wrap up the story is kind of how I thought. But it's not just tacked on, is it? It's, it's more important than that, as we've already heard. Um, God, uses, God uses lots of subtle little things even weak things, um, like sending a guy back to his home. Um, and he does big stuff through them. Because um, like Jabin said, through this one guy, um, you know, this guy is the first Christian missionary to the whole area. God's, God's setting about moving, beginning the work of moving people's hearts and getting them prepared to receive Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And Jesus hasn't even gone and died yet. Like, he's still, he's still there. Um, yeah, and that's... That, to me, kind of struck me as being classic God. Um, little event, something happens and God's like, yeah, I'm going to do all this with it. Um, he can, he's capable of taking one person about whom there's often nothing obviously special and he makes them the king 
or he uses them to save an entire city, um, or he creates a nation of people through that one person, or he wipes out the sin of all of his people through one person. Um, yeah, you guys will recognise where those stories come from. Like the pattern is all through the Bible, uh, often in little subtle pieces that contribute to a much larger picture that God's working on. Um, he picks someone and he says, hey, I've got something I'd like you to do. Um, and if that person is receptive and obedient, he uses their efforts to change the whole world, um, which kind of sounds a little dramatic, I guess. Um, but I guess that's the point. Like God, he takes the things that people do and he can tie them all together in these crazy, intricate networks that you wouldn't even believe. Um, and he can achieve his purposes through that. And his purposes are always magnificent things. So the question comes to me now, not, not right now, um, but <laughs> what does God want from you, yourself, me? Um, it could be something as trivial as making the right decision, giving a set of circumstances that are, that are facing you, or, or it could be something big or, you know, like picking up your whole family and moving out to Arnhem Land. Um, does that sort of scare you? Because it kind of scares me a bit. But... It's okay. Um, you don't have to worry. God, there's no such thing as weakness to God because in your weakness, he's, he's strong. Jesus came in weakness and God made his obedience into the single greatest moment of strength and victory ever. And that's what God can do. But God does require from you um, faith, obedience and love. Um, so faith, if I kind of defined each of those three things. <laughs> um, faith being absolute trust in God and his plans and determination to take Jesus at his word. Um, obedience, a genuine willingness to do what he asks for his sake and his happiness. Um, and then, of course, love, because without love, you're nothing. <laughs> love gets through to people and shows them the character of God. Um, so after all this thinking and talking and stuff, I kind of realise there's a few things that I need to do um, myself. Um, I need to repent for taking my eyes and my heart off, uh, uh, off him, off God, um, which is always the thing that causes me not to want to be obedient to him. It's always because I've stopped looking so intently at him. Um, I also need to repent of my fear um, for not seeing mission in that big broad sense um, as being a privilege and an honour like he sees it. And then I also need to open myself up fully to whatever he might have in store for me. Because um, you just can't imagine the great things that he is capable of putting together through your obedience in, in whatever small or big capacity that might be. So, yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm just going to read the passage again because I think that's helpful. Hi, I'm Hannah, by the way, if you don't know me. Um, Okay, so, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decap in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Um, so, I feel like a lot of people have talked about Jesus saying no, um, and I'm going to talk about that as well. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like that's, it's good. Like, it's good that we're all getting the same thing out of Scripture. It means that, um, yeah, it's, it's not this, 
indecipherable thing. It's, you know, our, God is speaking to our hearts in a, in a similar way. Um, so we've got the, there's actually, Jabin alluded to them, there's two requests that Jesus says no to in the earlier story um, that, just com- that comes just before this. So we've got the, um, the pigs, ask, the, the legion, sorry, asking to be cast into the pigs, and Jesus says, gives them permission to do that. Um, and also the, the villagers, the people who own the pigs, um, said, Jesus, we want you to go. Please go out of here. And Jesus gives them permission. He agrees, obviously, by getting in the boat. Um, but to the former demoniac, he says, no, uh, you can't come with me. Um, so, yeah, the, and the two other requests, they're, they're ungodly. They're not um, what you would think of as Jesus granting. So he's saying yes to these ungodly requests. Um, but today's passage, the former demoniac's response to Jesus' powerful miracle is godly. It's good. It's as, as Lisa and other people were saying, it's this really natural response. It's, you know, he's so moved by what Jesus did for him um, that he wants to de- dedicate his second chance at life to being with Jesus. And yeah, so in Jesus saying, no, Jesus saying, I want you to stay in this place where everyone remembers the awful, terrifying, disgusting subhuman you were to suffer people's fear, um, their shunning of you, and, you know, to be away from Jesus, the one that you long to be with. So, you know, I want to talk about my, my reaction to that and sort of my sin and our sin and how do we react um, to this. So my reaction was, oh, that seems unfair and callous, like, ugh. Um, and so I want to talk about yeah, what unbelief is happening in my heart that we can all we can all look at. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess I realized that I felt put out by Jesus' refusal of the former demoniac's request because I had assumed that that the former demoniac would still be weak or damaged by his ordeal. Um, like, where's Jesus' compassion for this man who possibly cannot be okay right now? Like, all these things that we've heard about he went through, it's so intense. He's cutting himself. He's, I'm going, surely he's just sitting there shaking just what's happening to me. Um, but in doing this, I'm not thinking about who Jesus truly is. Jesus is the, the word who through, who through the world, him, through him the world was made. He's capable of all things. He's fully capable of restoring the former demoniac sanity to the point where it's as if he'd never been possessed. He's got, you know, Jesus is capable of restoring him to the point where he's got no scars and no residual brokenness. Restored to a whole person, able to meet the difficulties Jesus asks him to now. I mean, isn't that the whole point of like what we're looking forward to in eternity? Jesus fully restoring us. Um, and I thought, wow, that's like that's really interesting. Like that. That in my heart, do I really, you know, believe that um, that Jesus is going to fully restore me? Um, and maybe, yeah, the former demoniac doesn't need our compassion because he's strong in this point. Um, another way that you know I reveal my own sin is that I'm not seeing Jesus' heart in this situation by thinking that he's callous. I'm, you know, in being taken aback, I'm saying that the loving thing to do here is for Jesus to allow this man to be with him and to protect him from difficulty and suffering, which is kind of what Lisa was talking about. Um, the truth is that Jesus is the only one who perfectly loves God, which we know, with all his heart, mind, and soul, and perfectly loves his neighbor as himself. 
we know this, um, he's the only man who has never sinned, the spotless lamb, and therefore he could only have denied this seemingly godly, godly request of the former demoniac out of perfect love for God and perfect love for this man. So my next question is, how, how, like how is this, <laughs> how is the perfect love happening here? Um, and by, you know, this, Jesus asking him to do the opposite of what he wants to do. Um, well, I guess I, I was thinking about our identity and our true identity, um, where, you know, he's a, Jesus is calling him to his true identity as a, a human made in God's own image, to be loved perfectly by God and adopted as his God's own child. Um, the former demoniac's already stepping into that when he receives the gift of Jesus' miracle. Like, he doesn't go, oh, um, you know, that's just Jesus showing power or I can just take that and walk away. But he, he takes it as a genuine gift of um, coming from Jesus' selfless love and he, you know, he reacts to that with his heart. Um, but Jesus isn't even content with that. Like, he, the former demoniac's reaction is already so good, but Jesus doesn't want to leave him there. He calls him to be, you know, part of God's kingdom by asking him to sacrificially serve those around him by testifying about God's glory and love. Like, who does that sound like? It sounds like Jesus. He's calling him to um, relate to those around him the same way that Jesus is. Um, and this man obeys. Despite having just met Jesus and being denied what he begged for, he willingly and wholeheartedly obeyed Jesus. And he doesn't only tell his friends and family, like it says in the passage, but he tells the whole Decapolis, a region of 10 villages villages or towns. Um, he does this despite the fact that he was probably, you know, widely feared and resented. We've talked about that. Um, and he does this even though Jesus said no. And this shows real faith and understanding of Jesus' heart in that split second. Um, whereas, you know, it took me a while to process all of that. But this man just in that split second just knew Jesus' heart. Um, and I guess I wanted to ask you, how do you respond when you ask Jesus for something that's godly and good. He says no, and he asks you instead to do something that means you have to confront the cost of your own sin as well as fear or doubt from other people around you. I, I, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's a really intense example. Um, but I guess life is intense, and it was just a really helpful reminder for me that I'm made in God's image, that he loves me perfectly, and that his priority is not to make me comfortable, his priority is restoring me fully to who I was made to be. Um, and that means calling me to be more like Jesus, even when it's painful or hard. <laughs> so, yeah, that's me done. <laughs> Stuart. Thanks, Hannah. Hi, I'm Stuart. And uh, this is the last one, number five. Uh, Mark chapter 5 we're in, and Mark in the first half of his book is trying to give us action Jesus, trying to help us know who he is. And so there's lots of activity and lots of geography. I've got a friend who did his first PhD in geography and his second PhD, I have friends like this, in, uh, in theology. And so he writes all about geography. And so I'm very attuned to geography. And uh, I've, I've stood in, um, on one side of this lake that we're talking about and looked across. It's about 8 k's, the distance they travel that night. And it's evening, and it's spooky. And Jesus is there. I'm guessing there's, we're told there's a few boats, and there's a there's bunch of guys, maybe 20, maybe 30, and they're spooked out because there's this crazy guy in the tombs. That scares me just thinking about it, and it's getting dark. And he's the kind of guy who has terrorized everybody as he terrorized his own body. 
That is a, that is a spooky moment. And, and action Jesus, this is the only thing he does on this little trip. And either that night, later still, or the next morning, he's back over the other side of the lake. Well, it was a freaky thing. Uh, I, they didn't want to be there. And Jesus encounters this really distressed guy, demon-possessed. And there's this bizarre dialogue of identity. Who are you? And Sometimes when the guy's talking, it's like he's the demon. Sometimes that's him. Uh, there's numbers getting floated around. Legion is, is like 6,000 soldiers. That is a picture of complete oppression. The, the damage that 6,000 soldiers do to a village, to a region, to a person, that's the concept. And there's a couple of thousand pigs. I don't know quite how, three per, I don't know. They're the numbers. But it's an oppressive dominance that this guy experiences. And Jesus has come, as was said earlier, just for this one man. Actually, in Matthew's Gospel, we're told there are two, so presumably this guy is the more significant of them. And it's a story of personal transformation by Christ. One of many stories in this front half as we build up who Jesus is and get our perspective on him. And you go from self-harming to clothed and in your right mind. Um, The drama of that in a person's life is extraordinary. And the hopefulness that gives us individually is part of our faith. And he goes from isolation to be embedded with his own people. You know, that's the term they use, the the, um, uh, people who are journalists get embedded in the troops and go and see it all. Well, he gets embedded. He's in the tombs and now he's in the towns. What an extraordinary change. He's the one that everybody hates and doesn't want to be with. He's now the one who's approaching and they're amazed, we're told, at the end. And notice the way that location plays such a big part in this story. My geography friend will be pleased with me. When he's demon-possessed, the demon says, we've got to stay here. But he's sent away. And when he's in his right mind, he says, Jesus, I want to go with you. But Jesus says, you've got to stay. It's, It's complete opposite. There's this whole, everything is different about how he perceives the world, how he perceives himself, how he perceives the others around him. Telling is a very interesting thing at this stage of Jesus' ministry. The action stage of Jesus, he keeps saying to people, and you'll notice as you read through, don't tell, don't tell. I've just healed you, don't tell. I've healed you, don't tell. This one, go tell. And he's preparing. He's going to come back, Jesus, into this region later. Uh, you see that in chapter 7. And you'll notice, too, at other parts where we're told lots of people from that region actually come and hang out with Jesus. It is only several kilometres walk from the Decapolis round where Jesus did most of his ministry in Galilee. So you can walk there in a couple of hours, no trouble. And they hung out. And, and this guy had been successful, we would guess. And from the other ministry of Jesus, he's been given responsibility to prepare people to hear about Jesus. An amazing shift in his life trajectory. An amazing privilege. Seems he was effective. The interesting part about this is where Mark is helping us understand who Jesus is and what his ministry and mission is and what the impact is on us. But it's all predicated on the last half of the Gospel, chapters 9 to 16, where he heads to Jerusalem and he dies. And he makes all this saving, amazing saving work, person by person, he makes it possible there on the cross. 
So as we think about action Jesus, geography transferring Jesus, we keep coming back to how it's possible to make the difference in people's lives. Just take a moment to reflect and we're going to be led in prayer.